So Money episode 403, Startup Week continues with Eli Karev, founder of The Coding Space. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 77 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business, and it all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, your scheduling appointments, or to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. The result will be stunning. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Wednesday, April 20th, 420, and Startup Week continues. And what a day to be doing a startup episode because on CNBC tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific on Follow the Leader, you know, just the show that I happen to love and be in and that I would really like you to watch, Gary Vaynerchuk is the entrepreneur of the evening whom I will be following around, learning how he thinks and talks and lives life, leads business, is transforming social media. For those of you who don't know who Gary is, he is the founder of VaynerMedia, which is a digital marketing agency. But he's also a huge personality, a huge online celebrity, really, uh, who is all over Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. And he made a name for himself as an entrepreneur at a pretty young age, taking his family's wine business from $3 million in annual revenue to like $60 million, thanks to YouTube videos and Google ads back before anybody else was really capitalizing on all of that stuff. So Gary is an early adopter and his gift is understanding how to market, how to sell. And so you got to watch that episode. But meanwhile, here on the podcast, Startup Week continues. And today we have a very inspiring young entrepreneur, Eli Karev. He's the co-founder of The Coding Space and coincidentally, also a fellow Penn Stater. Go Nittany Lions. Eli graduated from the Smeal College of Business like I did a long time ago. He graduated last year and now runs this after-school program called The Coding Space, where he helps students learn to code because that is the future, right? If, when I was in second grade, I learned how to write in cursive. But uh, if I was going into school now, I'd probably want to learn how to code so that I could have a job when I turned 21. The company launched in July of 2015, just last summer, with six students. And 
And now they have over 125 students. Eli says the company is 100% bootstrapped. So unlike Julia Shapiro from Monday, who found many investors for her business, Eli is completely bootstrapping this using his own money and not really knocking down VC doors at the moment. Prior to launching the coding space, Eli was, of course, still in college. And there he started his own web development company called Cross Cloud. So he's always been an entrepreneur. He was also part of the user acquisition team at Mozilla Firefox in San Fran, and he worked at Remind.com. Eli teaches us a lot of things, including how to build a sustainable business. You know, we hear this idea of sustainability. It's very on trend right now that when you start a company, how do you make it a forever company? He has this philosophy that rather than having procedures in your small business, you should have principles to better guide you to make those important and hard decisions. And the one book that we can all buy that for him and his co-founder has been the Bible, the compass for guiding their business. Here is Eli Karev. Eli Karev, my fellow Penn Stater, welcome to So Money. Very excited to learn about the coding space and of course, you know, your most embarrassing moments at Penn State. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Did you like going to Penn State? Oh, I loved it. It's called Happy Valley for a reason. Yeah, right. But, you know, truth be told, I was kicking and screaming, screaming my way to Penn State. I wasn't like mm -hmm. over the moon about it. Um, uh -huh. I think I was just a little bit of a snob and I wanted to go to, you know, the fancy schools. But I have to say <laughs> that it, uh, you know, it totally got me when I got there. I fell in love with the people, the campus. I'm not a big football fan, I have to say, but I do, <laughs> I do occasionally watch the Nittany Lions. But I think that you and I both also were in the Honors College, which made the experience that much more exciting and fun and enriching because we got to – it was sort of like we were in a liberal arts school at a, on a big campus. Yeah, absolutely. I think college decisions is so funny because it's the first time – you know, you're kind of taught very instructionally through school and you're told all the things you have to do and you just have to do them well. And then suddenly you get to college and you have to make this huge decision based on like you've never lived on your own. You've never lived in yeah. tons of different places. And I literally flipped a coin to decide. You what did. What were you deciding I between? I was deciding between Boston University and I was from Boston. Um, so, you know, where my mom was interested in me going and between <laughs> Penn State. And I think at the time I had no idea what I was actually factoring into the decision. I now realize that's about things like, you know, State College is a totally different place than living in the city of Boston. Um, so that probably should have been a main factor. But at the time, I was like, oh, like this, like ranking says X about the business school, like all these random things. And then my brother actually was the one who convinced me. He said, hey, Eli, like living in State College, and he kind of knew the area because he, he grew up in the Philly area. He was like, living in State College is a once-of-a-lifetime experience. You can't get that kind of experience after you're out of school, whereas you can always right. go live in the city. It's like, okay, like that seems like a good decision, and the coin flip seems to agree with you. Um, I ended up having the four like happiest years, transformative years of my life, and it was a really great time. But it, it's very interesting what goes into college students' decision-making. It's not an easy decision, and it's not a coincidence. You know, 30%, I think I last read this statistic a couple of years ago, so it may have changed since, but it's a lot of kids transfer after their first mm -hmm. or second year because they yeah. realize they get there and they're like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be so <laughs> small or 
everyone's an introvert or there aren't enough activities or my major isn't here. You know, so like it's worth it sometimes to take that gap year if it means being able to make a more educated decision and maybe even use that gap year to save money. Anyway, we digress. Let's talk about all the success that you had at Penn State. Obviously, um, you chose well because uh, I love Penn State too, but you did something very exceptional there, which was start a business. <laughs> and it's startup week. So I wanted you on the show. We had a lot of people apply for this, actually. So you were one of the lucky that got selected. I really liked your story, not just because you're a Penn Stater. That uh, was a little <laughs> bit of the decision. But but really because I wanted somebody who had that experience of starting something while in school. We hear all, often in the news about these bright young luminaries who start businesses while they were at Harvard and Stanford. And it seems so easy. And like, of course you went to Stanford (laughs) and started a business, but it's not easy and it's not that common. So tell me a little bit about your experience. Did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and how did being in that college environment support your launch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess going back a little before that, my high school experience wasn't that great. And I definitely would not define it as successful. And I, I, the one thing I did know, I didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I did know that something about the way the system was set up for me just wasn't working. Like we had these essays due every two weeks and we had grades on every assignment and it was kind of told to us that we had to do these things. And I couldn't really convince myself that I should be spending my time on a Thursday night writing an essay about Hamlet, an essay that I ended up turning in three months late. Um, So I always knew that like something about the way things were being presented to me wasn't working too well. And I wanted to explore more independent thought. Luckily, my brother started his own company. um, So I kind of had this role model to see like, oh, like starting a business is like an option for people and thinking about entrepreneurship is a thing. Um, and one of my teachers in high school led me TA the entrepreneurship that we, the entrepreneurship class that we had. So when I came into college, I didn't know much about entrepreneurship, but I knew a little more than everybody else because I had my brother, I had that class. Um, so in my first year, I actually started a business before this one called Cross Clouds, where I saw there were all these small businesses downtown that needed websites. And they said, hey, like, we really need a website. We're going to pay somebody $10,000 to do it. I was like, whoa, like, I could probably figure that out for much less. Would you pay me, you know, $1,500 to do it? And they said, yeah, sure. And I went home and I Googled how to make a website. And that's like how I be. There's no fancy story or like kid from Stanford who just knew it was for, I was like, there's a chance to make money here. And I you faked I it until I, you made it. That's what you did. Exactly. <laughs> you took the um, opportunity before you had the skill. Yes, totally. And to tell you how I came to that 1500 number, I was like, hmm, what am I going to need to start a business? I probably should buy a suit, some business cards, and some nice clothes because I'm a freshman in college and I don't own those. And I think it will cost me about 750 so I'll just double that. And we'll call it 1500 hmm. and go from there. But you don't need fan. I mean, you, you you, don't did you need even need all those things? You didn't even need no, all those I, things. I never ended up getting them. I don't wear a suit any day of the week. Um, they're just things I thought I needed to look and present. I think the official action item was like, look legit, because I'm look this legit. freshman in college who has no idea what he's doing. So We'll talk about the coding space in a minute. I want to learn all about the coding space. But one more question about college and entrepreneurship. You know, there are many, um, quote unquote, you know, 
entrepreneurial experts out there that say, if you have an idea and you're in college, <laughs> quit school and start yeah. the business. And we see people who've done that very successfully, you know, from mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg uh, to even, I think, um, Steve Jobs. So I don't know, did Steve Jobs finish school? No. He did not. Read so, college. What's your take on that? Do you obviously don't regret not finishing school? I can tell, but mm -hmm. it, as a, as a concept, as a, as a piece of advice, do you think that that is viable to quit yeah. school and start a business? So we have an interesting perspective because my co-founder actually dropped out of school and he refers to himself as the college token dropout in our team. Um, so it's very much something I've seen. I've seen a lot of students drop out of Harvard, go through YC, do the typical like drop out of school entrepreneurship journey. I think there are lots of pros and cons to both sides. I was very lucky to attend a school where I was able to explore extracurricular activities with most of my time. So I don't think necessarily that spending 40 hours a week with academics, which, you know, maybe getting like a science degree or an engineering degree at a top school will kind of force you to do. I instead chose business because I knew that I would be evaluated based on things I was doing outside of the classroom. So I took internships at Firefox and I worked at Remind, um, an ed tech company out in San Francisco remotely. And I was able to run the entrepreneurship club there. So I was able to spend almost all of my free time doing entrepreneurship, which ended up taking me like a full time. It was like 30 to four hour, 40 hours a week where I was helping other students learn about entrepreneurship and start my own companies. So for me, it just happened to not be a mutually exclusive decision. Um, and college was the perfect environment. It was like this playground where I'd be getting my degree. You know, my parents would be really happy and that was great. And I, I would kind of have this like safety net backup plan. But I was spending all of my time doing what I loved. And I never had to uh, kind of miss any opportunities because I was in college. So some people find themselves in situations where they're at the school that forces them to spend all of their time with academics. And I, I think for those people, particularly if they're independent thinkers and entrepreneurial minded, dropping out may be a better alternative. But I think there are lots of schools that place, and Penn State is doing a great job of this right now, place entrepreneurship first and give students an opportunity to not only get their degree, but to explore things like internships and getting a job. And I mean, biggest thing that doesn't really get talked about in business is college let me explore who I was and discover my passions and what I was interested in. And it was this very safe environment. You know, if I dropped out and tried to start my company and I failed in the first three months, which is what ended up happening, I'd be considered a total failure. But since I was in college in the safe environment where I was supportive, it was much easier to try out different things and branch out. Time for a quick break to put the spotlight on one of our sponsors today, Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. 
tell us about the coding space. I, I think this is a fantastic initiative and I want to support it. So tell me all about it. The coding space is an after school program where we help kids learn critical thinking and problem solving skills by teaching them to code. Um, so kind of you've heard my story about learning independent thought and having this new environment. So we're trying to create an entirely different way that students learn. Um, instead of the, the classic teaching model is called I do, we do, you do. So the, the teacher does something and then the whole class tries to do it together. And if there's time left, you do it, but you probably just do it when you get to a standardized test. Um, and lots of schools are implementing now project-based learning and inquiry-based learning. And our class is the epitome of that. So it's 100% project-based. So students come in, they start working on projects in a block-based language called Scratch, which was invented by MIT. And they start making their own games and stories and designs. And they make like a maze game or a whack-a-mole style game. And our teachers teach through something called the Socratic method. So they only ask the students questions. So rather than ever giving students answers and maybe like testing them on if they know it, Instead, they allow the students to kind of take their own path to figuring out the solutions. And the teachers just ask the students questions that critical thinkers ask themselves. So if a student says like, oh, how do I make the score work? It's like, oh, well, which one of these do you think will be most helpful? What kind of steps do you think you need to take? Let's really break it down and let's help the students learn to take these big problems and put them into smaller ones. So that's kind of the goal with the coding space. Um, And we've been fortunate to grow to over 125 students now coming weekly and kind of learning in this new method, which has really caught on quick for both the students and their parents. And so the parents who sign their children up for these courses, and obviously the kids are interested too, it's not like they're dragging Mm -hmm. their kids to um, (laughs) the coding space. Who are these children? And I noticed you're on the Upper East Side, Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. Um, These are not cheap classes, about $1,000 for the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the kids who live in Harlem or, you know, in downtown Brooklyn, um, who want to excel at coding and that could be something that could take them literally out of poverty or give them the opportunity to then go to college. Are you, are you kind of trying to scale it so that you're meeting all different kinds of, um, students from different economies? Absolutely. It's a really great question. So a lot of companies in the space are nonprofits who work solely with low-income students. And as you've mentioned, we've kind of built our business around parents with means. Um, So what we do is instead of relying on donors to provide for the scholarships for low-income students, we rely on the high-income students. So we give anywhere from 10 to 30% of our students have some form of financial aid or scholarship. That could be as little as a parent says, like, you know, I really think this class is worth it. I like I'm not completely uh, unable to pay. Can you give me a two hundred dollar discount for the class? Or it could be a parent saying I really like would need it to be free to come, but I really want to make the most of this experience. So we actually reach out to low income schools all around Manhattan, Brooklyn, Bronx, Harlem. And we ask for them to nominate students that they think would be a good fit for the program. And we've ended up receiving many applications and we take those students sometimes on full scholarship to join our program. We also offer free events once a month that are usually for girls. Um, We really try to promote diversity and being a more inclusive program than many of the other programs that we've seen, especially in STEM related fields. Um, So we offer these free events once a month for anybody to come and take one of the workshops for free 
And then finally, we also partner with lots of low-income schools. So we have a partnership right now with a public school where we're teaching their entire second grade class. So Eli, it sounds like the way that the coding space makes money is you have these individual classes, but you're also partnering with larger organizations, whether it's a nonprofit, a school, and basically embedding in those in those institutions and teaching their students there. Exactly. We're trying to include low-income students both in our program and also reach out to other programs and empower them to be able to help students of all backgrounds. And do you think this is something that you can scale as far as the U.S., internationally? Is there is there demand? What's the demand for this? Yeah, I think the demand is becoming pretty massive. Um, the stats that are coming out say 90% of parents want their kids to learn to code. Um, so nine out of every 10 but yet less than 25% of schools are teaching computer science. I think over the next five to 10 years, we're going to see computer science added as a core class in the curriculum, which is pretty crazy that we get to like live in the lifetime that that's happening. And there's this huge demand coming up for it. And I just, we as a company really want to see it be taught the right way. And we really want to see uh, com- computer science really lends itself to teaching students critical thinking skills, to teaching them problem solving, to teaching them character strengths like resilience and grit and optimism. And we really want to see computer science make the most of that opportunity for students. But yeah, I, I think the scales not only across the country, but other countries are doing this extremely well. And some countries actually require K through 12 computer science education already. Um, so I, I definitely think this is something that is very big and very pressing right now. Did you have a traditional business plan when you launched the coding <laughs> space? And if so, um, what was your five-year plan? Um, we had core values. We had three core values that really guided every decision we made. And we had the lean startup as our Bible, which I highly recommend to any of your listeners. Um, so our three core values were deep impact, meaning we wanted to not just marginally help students' lives, we wanted to transform students' lives. We wanted to help them make a huge life-changing shift. Uh, we wanted to empower people. So usually the way you make that level of impact is by providing people with skills or with confidence or something that allows them to take that action into their own hands. And then the last one, scale. Um, and we use those three values to make most of our decisions rather than having a more concrete business plan. And then we then use the Lean Startup, which basically talks about setting up experiments. And the goal of a startup isn't to make lots of money or instantly do all these things. It's to try and scope out sustainable businesses. So you're basically running experiments where you're trying to learn is this a viable business? Do people see value in this? Can the scale? Do people share this with others? Um, and you want to set up all these little hypotheses like, oh, if I teach this class, then the parents will recommend it to their friends. Is that true or not? And depending, so you then go do that. You create what's called an MVP, a minimum viable product. You test if the product has the effects you thought it would have. And then based on those results and your learnings, you then move forward and keep trying to scope out a sustainable business. Did you learn this in school? Did you learn all this in school, by the way? Or did you just learn it from like your own reading? (laughs) Um, It was mentioned in school. There were entrepreneurship classes at Penn State. 
I, I didn't think it ever really sunk in until I actually had to do it myself. Yeah. Um, and my co-founder is Steve is an avid reader and he will read these things religiously. Um, so he went through the whole lean startup and basically set up all of these experiments for us to start with. And I, it has saved us so much time and so much energy and we've been able to learn so much because of it. Um, so all from a $20 book, I think yeah, that's <laughs> exactly that's uh, I'm going to lead with that when I introduce <laughs> you on the show. He uh, started a business thanks to a $20 <laughs> book. Uh, but what you have been just telling me is not um, the first time I've heard about these catchphrases like core values and sustainability and MVP. This comes up a lot right now in the modern startup world. I just spent some time with some entrepreneurs. You might have heard of them. The Warby Parker founders, you know, um, the founder of Birchbox and the Warby Parker guys, you know, Neil and Dave, they started their business also when they were in graduate school at Wharton. They have 10 core values and they're everywhere in the, their offices. People uh, are reminded of them. That's what guides them. And they also are very, very insistent on doing things that have a power to be sustainable. Um, they're very lean. And, you know, so it's, I think a lot of these startups are taking notes from the same books and ripping out pages from the same books um, for a reason. They work. Absolutely. I totally agree. And by the way, former Birchbox founder and uh, Haley becoming a partner at First Round is a huge success. Um, so I just want to take a moment to appreciate that. that oh, happened. she's one of your investors. Not one of our investors, but uh, first round has been very close advisors to us. And oh, I thought you said like first round funding. I wasn't sure what oh, first round was. First round, the VC firm, and I, I think she was just named a venture partner there. Yes, uh, yes, she's she's doing very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so very phenomenal with that. Um, but yeah, I I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think one of the greatest pieces of advice that I recently it was actually in the first round review. Um, uh, a blog that they put out with lots of great information is the way to create a successful uh, business is instead of having procedures for things, instead have principles. So instead of saying every time you, you know, spend $500, get it approved by these two people, instead have a principle that says, you know, if you're making a tough financial decision, ask if you would make that financial decision if it was your own money. Um, and that principle is much more of a guiding thing that can help create a sustainable business than a specific procedure is. That is brilliant. Can I just, let's just take a <laughs> moment of silence, okay, with what you just said. Have procedures, not principles. This can, this shows up all the time in the reverse, you know, where even if you're just uh, talking to someone in customer service at a company, where procedure can, if you're just stuck on the book and the procedure of how things get done, you kind of forget to be a human sometimes. You kind of forget <laughs> like that there's a thing called ethics and moral compass and all of that important Absolutely. stuff that should ultimately guide all of our decisions. Instead, you know, I mean, procedures are there. They're, they're nice because they give structure and it's like something to fall back on. But you got to also take a step away from the procedure and make sure that it makes sense and that it is something that if once implemented, like you said, it's sustainable and it's uh, it's the right thing to do. And I don't think enough businesses, especially the traditional ones, stop and think, is this the right, right thing to do? Like, really, you know, it, it may be right because it's technically right. We've done it before in the past. It's our procedure. But is it 
based on principle. I think if more people, more businesses could think like that and strategize like that, the world would be a better place. We might even have world peace. <laughs> could be a possibility. I completely agree. And I, I think there are lots of large businesses that if they were listening to something like this might think, especially coming from me, it might be a little naive of a thought to not have all these procedures and outline everything. But I do really think that at the end of the day, we're humans interacting with other humans. And if you can do something to make a customer happy, if you can do something to make a business partner happy, you know, our best business relationships aren't because financially, you know, it really worked out for both sides. They're because as humans, I'm really good friends with, you know, Josh from the 92nd Street Y, or I'm really good friends with the people who are business partners. And those then materialize into really great relationships. And our, our customers, you know, we try to make them extremely happy. It then turns into them signing up for another semester. But we really try to see it as humans um, and really doing our best to make sure people are happy and satisfied and content. And we can kind of throw other procedures out the window if those things aren't under control first. Good for you. I'm so happy to hear that. So Eli, you're a budding entrepreneur. You live in New York City, just graduated from college. How are you making ends meet? Yeah, it's definitely a tough thing. Um, I haven't had the luxury of, you know, working for a couple of years and keeping up my savings. And we've also taken the tough route of choosing to be bootstrapped, meaning that we haven't raised any funding from every, from anyone. We're trying, we're really trying to make sure that the business sustains itself um, rather than relying on outside sources for now. Um, so it has been tough. I think when I initially planned to start this company, I knew that I would kind of be taking a hit on those things for a bit of time. Um, but it was definitely something I was willing to do given that, you know, I would get to do what I love doing every single day. Um, but in terms of making it work financially, I basically projected out, you know, what exactly am I going to want to spend money on? I want an apartment in New York. I definitely want my own room. I'm going to have to spend on food. I probably eat too, I eat out a little too often. Um, and I should project for that as well. And with all of those things, I kind of determined the minimum salary I would need to make to make sure that I'm not only sustaining myself, but I'm also not stressed about money. I think right. when you get stressed about money, you start making a lot of bad decisions about what you should do, not only financially, but with your entire business and your life. And that can be very overwhelming. So I figured out the amount of money I would need to not be stressed about those things. And then we just made it work from a business perspective. Um, and we just made sure that we were making enough money financially that we could afford that. And to be honest with you, like there may be a month where we're not doing as well on registrations and I may not be able to pay myself the full amount that I want to. And my partner is very lenient about that as well. And we definitely place our business first, but we've been very lucky that we have been able to grow a business pretty quickly that is very cash heavy. Um, you know, lots of startups out there don't really monetize early and don't charge, but we charge, as you mentioned, a pretty good amount uh, from day one. And from that, we've been able to support ourselves and live financially and have enough that we can pay off all our expenses, not be stressed, but not really be saving too much. But we get to focus on the business and doing what we love and making an impact in the ways that we want to. So it makes it all easily worth it. Do you think that some young businesses make the mistake of taking on investor dollars uh, too rapidly? <clears throat> and then as a result, they grow really fast, which may seem like progress, but what 
is also happening at the same time is that they're indebting themselves and being held liable to investors. What do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I think one myth that kind of surrounds that whole space is that all VCs are the same. So there's this like general term VC that like everybody knows it's like, should you raise VC or should you not raise VC money? Um, and I, I don't think that should be the question at all. You know, an amazing investor like first round is a completely different deal than a kind of a no name investor who wants several board seats and options and all these things. So I, I do think it's a complicated issue. That being said, um, I have received a lot of great advice and we've really enjoyed the luxury of only being, as you mentioned, indebted to ourselves. So if we want to make a huge pit with the business, for example, or we decide, especially with mission-driven companies, um, and B Corps are kind of being created to solve this problem, but with a mission-driven company that is also for-profit, if we were to raise investor money, it would keep us pretty focused on one track. We'd be very quickly trying to earn back profits for the investors and make it to the next financial round, which, like you mentioned, can accelerate your business and can be a great move. For us, we kind of want the flexibility of being able to determine, is this really making an impact? Are we really putting deep impact as our first value? If not, is there a pivot we want to make to doing something else that may not be profit-driven, so it wouldn't be totally in line with investors, but it definitely would be mission-driven and it would be in line with our actual students. Um, so that's kind of the extra freedom that not raising money has brought it does bring on a lot of extra stress. You know, the amount of money in our bank account is the actual amount of money in our bank account. If we run out, we like, can't pay payroll. Mm. So yeah. there are definitely pros and cons, but I think we've, we've been able to have a very cash heavy business where we can pay all of our employees and our expenses um, without having to raise outside funding. And that's been a really great luxury. That's really impressive. And it is a great luxury not to have debt, whether you're in your personal life, especially in your business. <laughs> um, okay, we have not a lot of time left. I want to ask you one more question, which is parting advice for our listeners, whether, whether they're in college, out of college, whatever stage of life they're in, they want to start a business. Um, what is something that you learned the hard way, something that you wish someone had told you when you were starting out that would have saved you time and money and, and stress? Wow, that's a super interesting question. Um, I, I think I want to focus on the last part you said, the stress. Um, when people think about building a business, whether they're thinking about making an impact or they're thinking about making money, they're thinking about how will I make the most successful thing possible? I think the one thing I've learned the most in having my business be my full-time occupation for all this time is you really want to optimize for your happiness and for your overall life balance. Um, so there's a combination of things that you have to factor in. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about doing is like starting our own school. And another thing we've talked about doing is building software. And even though those two types of companies may have a similar level of impact, may have a similar level of revenue. They're totally different lifestyles. So the one parting advice I would give to any aspiring entrepreneurs is think about the life that you want to create and think about what would make you happy. Because ultimately, if, if you're not happy with the life you're creating from your business, then it won't be sustainable and you won't be able to wake up every day and be so excited to get to work. I mean, just yesterday, I woke up as early as I could, worked all day, 
ended up working till like 1030, which is not something usual for us. And I was just so excited to do it. Um, and creating a life where you're so excited every day to do what you're doing, I think should come first and foremost, and then kind of figure out how all the other pieces fit into that. Do what you love. And I'm sure it's monetizable some way. Well, thank you so much, Eli. So much that we've learned from you and you're so young in your business. I can't imagine in just five years, if we were to reconnect all the more education you'd bestow on us. So thank you very much, everyone. The company's called thecodingspace.com and you're on Twitter at Penn State Kid. How did you get that handle? That's pretty cool. Oh, I got so lucky. I've been thinking of if I should switch it to my own name, but Penn State Kid is pretty great and I love riffing the school. And think, thank yeah. you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for inspiring us here during Startup Week on So Money. Eli, have a great rest of your week. Thank you very much. And everybody have an awesome day. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Eli and his company, the website is thecodingspace.com. Eli, of course, is on Twitter, as we mentioned, at Penn State Kid. All this info back at somoneypodcast.com, where you can also click on Ask Farnoosh, Ask Me a Question. But listen, seriously, tonight, tune in to CNBC, 10 p.m. I know it's a little bit late, but it's going to be so worth it. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary V is, I mean, come on, like, could there be a bigger internet celebrity? No, it's him. Watch, you'll learn, you'll laugh, you'll cry. I guarantee you it's the best 30 minutes you'll spend all day, except of course for listening to this podcast. Let me know what you thought of it. Thanks so much, everyone. Hope your day and night is so money. Money.